Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The San Quentin Prison Marathon has an unconventional route. 105 dizzying laps around a crowded prison yard. The film 26.2 to Life is a new documentary that tells the story of incarcerated men who are members of the 1,000 Mile Club, the prison's long-distance running club. They train all year long for this particular marathon. And for those who take their places at the starting line on a cool, sunny November morning, completing the marathon becomes the entire reason for their existence. It's a chance to have themselves defined by something more than their crimes. Again, the film is called 26.2 to Life. We're joined today by the director as well as the producer, and that would be Christine Yu. Christine, welcome to Film School Radio. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. It's great to be here. I thoroughly enjoyed this film. It is all that I was hoping for in the sense that the the stories, the people that we we find that you find in the in San Quentin are stories that are not unusual in the sense of uh, being in the wrong place under the wrong circumstances, things that happen in people's lives. And I'm not excusing the crime itself. I'm just saying people end up in these places for reasons that seem could have been avoided or should have been avoided, or some version of that. Um, tell me a little bit about how you got interested in this. Who told you about the the running club, the 1,000-mile club in San Quentin? How'd that get going? Yeah, um, I originally got really interested in prison-oriented issues because I do have a friend that was sentenced to 271 years in California State Prison, and he was wrongfully convicted. And as I started looking more and more researching into his case, just it was a gross miscarriage of justice and certainly something that I could not get out of my mind for many years. Um, And it really haunted me. He was kind of like, I felt like he was like my brother. He was also Korean American. And I felt really helpless to do anything. Um, And then one morning in 2016, I uh, happened upon a GQ magazine article on my Apple newsfeed that was about the San Quentin prison marathon. And somehow it really just captured my imagination. I, um, I'm not a marathoner, but I do run. And so I definitely could understand how running could feel, it could be beneficial to people in prison and, and give that sense of freedom and mental clarity. So that's really how I became interested in the topic. So you approached two first. How does that, how did you begin the conversation? With a thousand mile club? I immediately went online and found the Tamalpa Runners, which is the running club for Frank Rona, the head coach. And he was very easy to reach, actually. So I uh, called him up. He was in Northern California. I drove up to the Bay Area, kind of pitched myself. He told me that though I had competition, that Condé Nast also wanted to do this. So I really felt like I really didn't have a shot. You know, I mean, I'm an independent filmmaker. I had, you know, done one indie feature film. It was a Korean American rom-com, you know, completely the opposite of this. Um, And it was kind of a classic David and Goliath type of story, really, situation. 
And I think I left there saying like, well, we all know who won that fight. And uh, I just, you know, then drove back down to LA with my boyfriend and was really depressed. You know, I thought, "Eh, well, I gave it my best shot. And uh, well, you know, who am I to compete against Condé Nast? And a week later, uh, Frank called me and said that he wanted to go with me. Uh, So I was yeah that I was like oh my god this is amazing and uh, I haven't looked back since that was in 2016 okay yeah Yeah. I think for filmmakers who do listen to the to our conversations I think the the length of time that from from idea to fruition is it's a if you knew it going in a lot of filmmakers may not be filmmakers, right? Because it is, it just takes a while, doesn't it? it? It sure does. I mean, my first movie also took about five years. So I did have an idea that this was going to take me a while. And so when I did, you know, when I was sort of, when this captured my imagination, I thought, you know, I'm probably going to have to be with this for several years. I better really love the story. And I felt like I could, that I could love this story, I guess, for, you know, a number of years. And, but I originally did approach this as a regular, you know, motion picture, you know, wasn't as a regular narrative. And I really only came to do it as a documentary when I, after I started researching, went inside and started talking to guys and uh, talking to the coaches and some of the guys who got out, I just felt wow, you know, people really need to see and hear this straight from the source, you know, uncut, because I couldn't believe the stories that I was hearing. Really, one of the strengths of 26.2 to life is the people we get to know. Tommy, um, Tommy Lee Wickard, uh, Markel Taylor, Rasan, New York, Thomas, and others. Frank, you mentioned Frank Arona as the he's the head of the club, the running club and a marathoner himself. It's the the vividness of their stories, of the clarity by which they tell their stories, the understanding, the, the approach to not only who they were then, but who they are now, that really makes this film really sing. And and um, you can't help but like all of these people, the, sort of the major players, as well as other people who are in the film, but the major people, Markel, Tommy, and Rahsaan, are just terrific subjects. What you're what people are really seeing when these guys are describing the kind of insight, I guess you could say, into their lives and circumstances that they brought there, that is really can be identified as as rehabilitation. You know, rehabilitation is before this, it was such an empty word to me. I really transformation, I feel like is a better term. Um, And when I went down onto that yard for the first time, I had gone in to see a half marathon and that sort of festive environment that was so confusing to me to be festive inside a prison, you know. Um, But what that really was, what I know now is that I was really watching rehabilitation in action. And, uh, you know, men who have come to terms with, you know, what they did but also the circumstances to, into you know what brought them to that place and the starting line so to speak yeah and that's that is so true uh that if you give people who are willing to take that opportunity but if you give them something that has um some degree of a purpose but also uh, achievable incremental parts to achieve to getting somewhere else 
And in the in this particular case, we're talking about people who run. So they start out running a quarter of a mile, a half mile, five miles, etc. So there's that part of it, but it's also knowing that you can do it. This the achievement. That's yeah. a small thing. Go ahead. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe an interesting to point out is that for a lot of these guys, they might have never really had goals in life, you know, which is why they ended up getting into trouble. And there's, you know, kind of quote unquote, the downward spiral, as many people say, what I admired for all of them from all of them is that they decided for themselves, you know, they made a choice to take a different path in life, you know, in prison, people have choices, just like we do out here, uh, how to live, you know, your life. And they chose to essentially engage in something that was difficult. And what guys would tell me over and over again is suddenly if you can run five miles, well, there's all this new confidence that comes from being able to run that length of, you know, that they never did before. So then, oh, well, if I ran five miles, I can get my GED now. I can reconnect with family members, you know, kind of sky's the limit. So, you know, seeing oneself do something difficult uh, opens people's, you know, minds to, yeah. to to set new goals. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Christine Hewitt. She is the director as well as one of the co-producers of the documentary film 26.2 to Life. And it is going to be opening in theaters around the country on uh, September 22nd. There will also be a national virtual screening on the 29th through September 29th through October 1st. What is that about now? How is that uh, play yeah. out? Yeah. So we'll just uh, be releasing it in theaters, LA, New York, Bay Area, uh, Milwaukee. We've got weekend screenings in Seattle. Uh, so it's just a one week run. And my team really felt strongly about doing a theatrical release simply because we also wanted the opportunity to do post-screening Q&As, where we bring some of the formerly incarcerated runners in, including Markel the Gazelle, uh, Taylor, and the coaches. And to have that moment with the audience uh, where they can, you know, seeing is believing a lot of times, you know, uh, and uh, have that moment of discussion. Uh, but then we have been really overwhelmed with requests from uh, people all over the country, you know, somehow finding out about our our little movie. <laughs> and so we decided to do a nationwide virtual premiere. So it's a 72-hour window. Everybody anywhere in the U.S. and the U.K. can actually watch it. And there's a lot of bonus content that's going to be available there, too, including a special Q&A that we did uh, with all of the three main guys from inside San Quentin. We had a screening at San Quentin. So that'll oh, be. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. How did that go? Wow. But it was very special, very special. Because for one, you know, the movie took me a while. So I think that the guys were surprised that it was actually finished <laughs> for one thing. <laughs> and uh, but but that particular screening and the reaction that we got really uh made us, you know, convinced it confirmed our feelings that uh, my team that we need to get the film into more prisons. So we have been, uh, you know, engaging in social impact screenings in Washington Correction Center outside of Seattle. I'm just coming off of three screenings in Cleveland at the Juvenile Hall at uh, Men's Grafton Prison and Women's Prison uh, just yesterday. 
what people, you know, may not realize is that when you lock someone up, when you lock an individual up, in many ways, you lock their whole family up. And then when you lock families up, it's, you know, communities are impacted. So it's not just one individual that's there. It's usually attached to many people. While there has been progress in terms of sentencing, sentencing reform, parole, et cetera, et cetera, decriminalization of certain, like for marijuana and things, have helped in terms of who we incarcerate and why and how long we put them in prison. We still have a long ways to go. This The United States is one of, if not the, I believe we're still the largest incarcerated people by percentage of population in the world. Yes. Um, and the thing is, is that I think that we have to, we do have to start addressing uh, people who have been convicted of violent crimes, you know, people who have only had drug offenses are really, it's not going to move the needle that much in terms of overall incarceration. And, you know, I hope that people can, you, you know, really understand that the data shows that as people get older, they age out of crime. You know, there's a lot of data that points to this. Most people commit crimes when they're younger. Of course, we all do stupid things when we're 19 years old or whatever, right? And certainly things that we did when we were in college, you know, would you do them now, you know, maybe 20, 20, 30, whatever years later? Uh, I think not. So people do change. I, I went in with that question. Can people change? That was my fundamental question. And I walked away with, yes, a resounding yes, that people do in fact change. I want to once again, let people know 26.2 to life is going to be available for this special two days, three days, the twenty thirtieth yeah. and October 1st. Is a virtual release. It'll be available. You can go. Go to sanquentinmarathon.com, and that is the website for it. Gosh, I've won a number of awards. You you really have cleaned up in, in on the festival circuit, so congratulations on the accolades. Uh, won the... I got to say, you know, a little over a year ago, I was completely depressed because I really didn't know what the path forward was going to be. We still needed a significant amount of funds to finish it. And we received a lot of rejections to the fellow film school guys out there, people, filmmakers, you know, just don't give up hope. Yeah, because um, as far as distribution, this looks like a self-distributed film. Am I am I correct in that assessment? So far, um, yes, so, so far. far. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, and for those listening who can make things happen, and I like to think there's a lot of people who listen to film school radio who can make things happen, uh, we can say that... Uh, one at the Independent Film Festival in Boston. It's one at San Francisco Doc Fest, Santa Barbara International Film Festival, Seattle Inter International Film Festival, and Woods Hole Film Festival, which I'm not even sure where that is, but nonetheless, Cape it's Cod. Cape Cod. Well, there you yeah. go. There's a simplicity to the way that it's told in the sense that these people are very well defined that we focus on. We get their story. We We, we, we see it play out. And we understand the circumstances. And it's just all in service to this story of people, their ability to change, to find themselves in the world. And now we as a society, what is our responsibility? What part of this equation can we be more helpful in, in, in helping them achieve? Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah. What I loved about the Thousand Mile Club, and I'll put that in the present tense, because what I love about the Thousand Mile Club is, again, you know, when my friend got locked up, I felt really hopeless and helpless to do anything to 
you know, change the prison system, so to speak, or help him in any kind of significant way. And what I realized um, through the Thousand Mile Club is that here was Frank Rona, one man who had a passion for running and was able to really create this community of people, you know, through volunteering, you know, while it might not change the quote unquote system, it certainly changed the people around him. Yeah. Not only though the incarcerated people, but, you know, the volunteers as well, yeah. you know, who end up gaining a really in-depth understanding, a nuanced, complex understanding of like who ends up in prison and why. Couldn't have said it better, Christine. You thank you so much for this film called 26.2 to Life. Be looking for it at sanquintinmarathon.com and beyond. My congratulations to you on your work. Come back anytime. Thank you so much, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.